On your listening guides, um, first thing, when I watch that video, it just, it, it grips my heart because God desires a relationship with you, not religion. God wants to be in every part of your life. And too many Christians have a good grip on um, religion, but not a very good grip on relationship with God. The Bible presents God as one who desires with all of his heart to have this intimate, close, real relationship with his creation. But too often creation stiff arms God and keeps him at a distance and is polite and kind of casual and respectful and refuses to have the relationship that God desires and that God has made a way for us to have through Jesus Christ. And ladies, I just got to ask you, how many of you would swoon if somebody said, how's your, your relationship with your husband? You said, well, he's uh, polite and casual and generally respectful to me. Let's make a movie about that. You'd pay to go see that, right? That'd make your heart go pitter-pat. My husband's so polite to me. He generally respects me. No, it's pretty dull. The New Testament church is about a vibrant, living dynamic relationship with God, not about being religious. You see, God has this infinite amount of power, but there's one thing God cannot do. He can make us fear Him. He has that power. He could make us obey Him, but the one thing God can't do is He can't make us love Him. He cannot make us choose to be close to Him, choose to put ourselves near Him. And see, God has spent an extraordinary amount of time and he's gone to extraordinary lengths to make it possible for you and me to live close to him on a daily basis. Too often we settle for second best. Instead of a relationship with God, we settle for religion. Religion will kill you. Religion will kill the joy in your life. It will kill your children's love for God. And religion is never what God wanted. The New Testament verses are all about relationship. And what we're going to look at today has its basis in the Old Testament. This happens so often, but I've got to go back to the Old Testament and kind of give you the foundation before we get to these verses today. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites had left Egypt, they're wandering around the promised land. They've not yet, I mean, wandering around the wilderness. They've not yet got to the promised land. They were wandering in this wilderness, and so God tells them to build a place to worship Him. But it had to be portable because they were moving around. And so they built this thing called the tabernacle. And this is where God's presence would worship, would dwell. Now, if you can see this, you can see this. Every time God told them to build the tabernacle, to put it up, he said to put it up in the same place in the middle of their section. And then the tents that are around there, these are just, there's about 700 tents if you were to count all these little ones here. You see those dots in the back? That represents the rest of the children of Israel. I wish I could have done this little animation for you where it comes in from the mountains and you just see hundreds of thousands of tents all around the tabernacle. And then you see down there at the bottom, that's Moses' tent, the, the one that's closest there. And so what this represented was God lived right, he, he would dwell right in the middle of his people. They would camp around. They would know when he came to the tabernacle. They would know when his presence wasn't at the tabernacle. They knew. And when, whenever they would move to the next location, God would say, set up the tabernacle in the middle of the people. And they would know and they, they would... Uh, put their tents up in the same order every time and they would do it by tribes and God had been very, very specific about this. Next picture. The outer court is uh, 
right here at this end, at the right end, you see kind of that purple curtain down there. This is where men could come, but only men who were bringing a sacrifice because one does not come into the presence of a holy God unless an innocent third party has to die and shed its blood so that guilty sinners could go free. So the men, only the men could come there and just with their sacrifices, you see these little, these men around the outside of the tabernacle, that's what they're doing. They're bringing their sacrifices to cover their sins before God. And then this right here in the middle of this altar, um, you see the priest there, that's where they would sacrifice that uh, that lamb or that ram, and then there's a little there's two guys over there. That's called the laver in the in the Old Testament. It's called laver. It's it's short for lavatory. That's where the priests and only the priests would wash their hands and wash their feet before they could go into the big tent. And the big tent was called the tent of meeting. Next picture. Now in this picture, you can see inside the tent, only priests could come in here. And you see them doing their jobs. And this is the common priest, not the, not the high priest. Only the common priest could come in here. And you'll see the, the candles there. That's called the lampstand. You'll see the place over there. That's, there's some show bread, S-H-E-W bread. There's some things that, that they do with that. And then this little candle by itself back there, that's the altar of incense. You would, the priests would go in, carry out their duties. Only the priests were allowed to do this. And they had to light the incense. That was to represent the prayers that would go up to God. And now next, next one. Now, you see the, the pictures of the lion with the wings on it. That's called the veil in the temple. You are seeing from this point of view, you're seeing what the common average Israelite would never be allowed to see. Only the priests and then the common priests and the high priests could come in here. So this is, this is looking at the veil. The veil separated, this part right here is called the, the holy place. On the other side of the veil is called the most holy place, or some of you have heard it called the holy of holies. It doesn't get any holier than that. The only person who can go across or behind that veil is the high priest, the most holy person in the land. Was that number four or number five? I don't remember which one we're on. Go to the next one. So that's just another picture of it as you see. No one, no common priest would dare step beyond that because you would die. If you come into God's presence, you're not the the high priest, you would die. Now, go back to number three. So now the high priest, you can see him there in the middle. He's the one holding his hands up like this. On the day of atonement, the only day he could walk into the presence of God in the holy of holies, the most holy place. He had to offer a sin offering for himself. An innocent third party, a lamb, had to shed its blood to cover his sin so that the guilty sinner could go free. And then he had to offer all of these sacrifices for the sins of the people. So there were like 13 burnt offerings and four sin offerings. Then he had to do all these elaborate washings. At one point, he has to take off his royal robes and he has to wash. And then he has to put the royal robes on. If he does everything right, he gets to go behind the veil into God's presence and represent the millions of people who are camped around this tent. Now, what they would do is they would put a a bell on his ankle and they'd put a rope on there. Because how many people get to go in the presence of God? One. How many times a year does he get to go in the presence of a holy God? One. And then only if he's done everything right. So they would put this bell on his ankle so that while the dude's walking around, he's going, ding, 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 you know. And I was talking to Rachel about this because she didn't get to get in here today. She was like, Daddy, tell me what you're going to preach about because I'm working. So I was, we were talking about this. She said, man, if I were that priest, I'd be shaking that the whole time, letting them know, I'm in here, I'm alive. So he's walking around. If the bell quit and it went for a long period of time, they figured the dude was dead. Because he didn't do something right to come in the presence of a holy God. And since only the high priest could come in, and only on the Day of Atonement, and only if he'd done everything right before he comes in the presence of God, it's going to be a whole another year before anybody could go in and get the dead body. 
So just a practical thing, they pull his dead body out. All right, it's a big deal. This is very, very serious. The veil was the barrier between common people and a very uncommon, holy God. It was there for their protection. It was to protect normal people, normal priests. And then this whole elaborate ceremony was to protect normal people from God. And this system went on for thousands of years, all the way until they got into the promised land and they built the temple in Jerusalem and they had a permanent place. They would still go through this whole elaborate system. One person, the high priest, the most holy person in the land would have to do all of these rituals before he could come in the presence of a holy God. And then on the day that Jesus died... He was the ultimate sin sacrifice, the ultimate innocent third party to shed his blood so that guilty sinners could go free. The moment he died, we're told that the veil was ripped in two from top to bottom. That's very significant because it indicates that God had finally torn down the barrier between common people and a holy God. So in one fell swoop, on the day, the moment that Jesus Christ died, God wiped out 4,000 years of a system of worship, of a system of religion. Just gone like that. Why in the world would he do it? That's how we come to our verses today. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow along. This is in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19. We're going to read several verses. The writer says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. He's referring to the holy of holies. Everyone who's hearing this is remembering the most holy place, whether in the temple or if they've read about it in the scriptures, the Old Testament, the most holy place. This is a startling statement because an average Hebrew would never even dream of seeing the holy place, let alone the most holy place. And the writer says, We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And by his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who raises, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now, I like to give you different translations, very easy to understand translations. This one kind of misses it here, because really what these verses mean right here when it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another the original word was let us kick each other in the rear spur one another the idea was the spurs that you kick a horse with to get it to do what you want it to do let us figure out ways sometimes to kick each other in the rear so that we'll do what's right we'll do what's good some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship what was that a what of meeting for worship a habit The Bible says it's supposed to be a habit. Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. Now, in just your lifetime, has the world around us gotten better, more peaceful, or has it gotten worse? Worse. The Bible says it's going to keep getting worse until the day that Jesus Christ returns. And then he's going to remove all of the Christians from the world and then it's really going to get bad until he finally comes and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. Now, in these verses, he says that Jesus is our great high priest. What is it that makes him great? A couple of things. 
First, he was tempted in every way we are tempted. Now, now it doesn't mean every temptation you've ever faced. It means in the same categories of temptation Jesus has been tempted. He was tempted with the lust of the eyes. He was tempted with the lust of the flesh. He was tempted with the boastful pride of life. He was tempted in those areas, yet he never sinned. He's the only sinless high priest. That makes him great. Number two, even though he was innocent, he died in the place of all the rest of us so that we wouldn't have to suffer that type of death. But our great high priest did not stay dead. We know that three days later he came back from the grave. He's alive in heaven. And these verses say, because of him, we can come boldly into the presence of God all day, every day, anytime we need to. The Old Testament priests, they died and they stayed in the grave. What makes Jesus great is even death couldn't defeat him. So he's alive and his throne is in heaven. That's so much better than the Old Testament dudes. They died. The tabernacle's gone. The temple has been damaged many, many times. Those were temporary structures, but our heavenly throne, the heavenly most holy place, lives forever. That makes him great. Third thing that makes him great. In the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies was only accessible by one person one day out of the year. Now, if you're the common, if you're a common priest, you might get to see the high priest. But if you're a common person, you're not a priest. You don't have a prayer of getting to see the high priest. So you're facing some difficulty. You might be able to see him from a distance, but you're never going to get into his presence. And you're sure not going to get into the presence of a holy God. But in the New Testament, our great high priest. Because of what he did, we can run to Jesus. We can run through his blood into the presence of of a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God. No problem is too big or too small for a member of God's family to take directly to God's throne. And in the New Testament, it's called the throne of mercy and grace. Mercy is when you don't receive what you deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. In the Old Testament, they would not have called the throne a throne of grace. They would have called it a throne of judgment because you walk in with sin, boom, you're dead. People touched the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the Holy of Holies. People touched it one time. The dude touched it. Boom, he fell over dead because you don't mess with a holy God if you're unholy. But God created a new curtain to the most holy place, and that's Christ's body, his blood. Since he died in our place, all who come to Jesus through faith are allowed to come into the presence of God. And this is just amazing to me. <laughs> if this is the case, if, if God's gone to this extraordinary length to make it possible for us to come into His presence, why do so many Christians live such pitiful, defeated lives? Well, I think it's because we live at the end of a couple of spectrums when it comes to spiritual growth. There's some thought on spiritual growth. And in fact, today, our whole 201 class is about some habits that you can establish that will help you become closer to God. But, but we don't want to be at either end of the spectrum. Over here on the left side, we're going to call this the military school style of spiritual growth. And I've been to conferences where Christian leaders say, if you're ever going to improve your relationship with God, you must get up at 4, maybe 4.30 a.m. and spend at least 30 minutes with God. You must spend 15 minutes reading the Bible, 15 minutes in prayer. If you do this on a daily basis, you're all set. Get up early, do the devotional thing, and you have covered your spiritual basis for the day. Amen! And let me say that I have my devotions in the morning. 
Back when I was in college, Rachel and I were talking about this this morning. Back when I was in college, I would read at night. And that's just stupid for me because I'd be reading God's Word. (laughs) Not that God's Word is boring. It's just when you're exhausted, your eyes start crossing, boom, you're dribbling, you're drooling on the Bible. I mean, you know, that's not... Osmosis doesn't work. I tried that with my, you know, all my classes in college. I'd sleep on the book. That doesn't work. It doesn't seep into your head just because you lay your head on the Bible. For me, I'm kind of a 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning kind of guy. That's when I get up, now that I've started getting a grip on my body. Um, some of you, most of you weren't here. Never mind. That one went over. So I'm not about to say you don't need discipline in your life. I'm not about to say you shouldn't get up and read your Bible and do some things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, that this might not be the best approach. Let's say that you're on the uh, show Survivor. How many of y'all watch Survivor? My family watches Survivor. We watch it all the time. We get our favorites and we get our least favorites and we watch it. Well, in Survivor, fire represents your life. And this, in fact, this happened this last year. Uh, they, Jeff Probe said, I don't know why anybody would come on Survivor and not learn how to build a fire. And so this one lady came and she, she knew every which way. She started the fire the first day when they didn't even have the stuff that helps you, the flint and all that. She started a fire. And she would go out every day and she would tend to that fire and she would make, so this, let's say your approach to spiritual growth is you're going to come over on this end of the spectrum and you're going to be the one who starts the fire. Now, the first 10 days or so, you've probably got a pretty good attitude about starting the fire. You're thinking, this is necessary. I'm going to start this fire. It's going to create warmth for me because they're always freezing out there. You know, it's always bad weather and they need stuff to purify water. So you're starting the fire and you're feeling good, man, I'm contributing to this society. I'm going to help my team win this thing. So for about 10 days, you've got a great plan. You've got a great attitude. you got that fire going. About the 10th day, you start looking around, those sorry suckers still asleep. And you're, you're saying, don't they get it? I'm the only one who cares about fire. They don't care. So if I'm the only one who cares about the fire, I'm the only one who's going to benefit from this fire. And this lady actually did it. When she got voted off, she went and kicked over this stuff and put out the fire. She said, I started the fire, I'll put it out. And some people that are in this military style of approach... They get to thinking that there's something they're not. Now, again, I'm not going to say don't read your Bible, don't pray. That's what I'm going to teach you the habits if you stay at 2 1 today. But if all you do is spend 15 minutes in here, close the book, and walk away and forget what it said, God's made no impact in your life. He doesn't want 15 minutes of your life, He wants it all. And when we give Him all, then we have a different attitude. If you're not careful with this approach, just because somebody says you need to read your Bible every day, just because it'll become monotonous, mechanical, and boring. And then if you don't do it, what happens? You start to feel guilty. And then we had this in our Experience in God classes. Any of y'all get behind on your Experience in God studies? Because it was a lot of stuff. Anybody get behind? Nobody wants to admit it. And what did you feel? Guilt. And if somebody else was doing it, and see, if you're not careful when you're, when you're this approach, you want other people to know what price you've paid to become the spiritual giant you are. Well, when I was in God's Word this morning at 4.30, about 4.33, the Lord spoke to me and said, you're living in sin. And people go, 4.30? Oh, I could never do that. 
And God says, the moment you begin bragging about how far along you are spiritually, you've lost any benefit from God. If you do something to be seen by men, God says, that little applause you get, that's all you get. So I'm saying the military school style, although we need discipline in our lives, that might not be the best approach. Let's go to the other side of the spectrum. This is the when it's convenient style of spiritual growth. These folks seek out spiritual growth when they feel like it. They attend church if and when they wake up on time. They read their Bibles when they feel like it. They pray when there's an urgent need. (laughs) Or they want others to pray for them when there's an urgent need in their life. But these people say, you know, I really get more out of sitting in the forest, staring at a tree for an hour than I do from going to church. Any set schedule or any type of discipline is offensive to these free spirits. Don't put your shackles on me. And this makes as much sense. Okay, over here is the build a fire and I'm great because I build the fire. Over here is... Sure wish that fire had started itself. Man, I'm cold. Where are those other suckers? Why didn't somebody come take care of me? Because I'm not about to take care of myself. Why didn't somebody else pray for me? Why didn't somebody else go to church for me? Why didn't somebody else get baptized for me? Because I'm an infant and I need somebody to do it for me. Problem with the when I feel like it is you never feel like it. So there's got to be some type of happy medium. The problem with those folks over here, these folks over here become hard-hearted, shriveled, proud. These folks over here, they never give to the church. They never serve. I wouldn't seek their advice on anything in my life if they were the last people on the planet because there's no wisdom there if it doesn't come from God. And these people get discouraged and, and... I've never met somebody on the when it's convenient side who ever grew spiritually, ever. And 99% of them will eventually turn their backs and walk away from God. So there's got to be some type of happy medium. That's what we're going to call the creative relationship. Creative relationship. Now, just think of it this way. I try to, I try to give you images. Have you all ever seen an, a, a car tire? Or maybe a motorcycle tire that's overinflated. Because the Bible says that knowledge, knowledge without application, puffs up. Or knowledge makes us proud. So the, the military school style, it's the overinflated tire that's about to pop. And have you all seen it? I mean, I love Mythbusters. Dude, I love it when they blow stuff up. I want the job. We were talking about this the other night. A bunch of guys. We just want to shoot something. We just want to blow something up. I mean, you know. And we even talked about doing our own Mythbusters things. And it'll be in the headlines. Half of church perishes in fire. <laughs> we'll go out with a bang, right, guys? Um, but, but this side, when, when all you do is gather knowledge, when all you do is, is put it in and you never give out, you get puffed up like an overinflated tire. And what's going to happen to that overinflated tire eventually? I had to stick one of those little things that goes down in the sewer pipe. This goes on the end of your, your uh, water hose. And it's about this big around when you stick it in the sewer pipe. And then when you turn the water on, it goes... 
and then it, it gets enough water pressure that it blows out whatever's in your sewer line. It's a great topic right before lunch. And so anyway, last night I had to go do this and I stuck it down in there and I don't know if it was just cold because it had been laying outside, but I stuck it down in there. As soon as I turned water on, it goes, boom. And so not only do I have the clog in there now, half of my little balloon thing is blown up in my sewer. And, and I started thinking about how useful my little tool is now that the end is blown off of it. It's useless. And in the kingdom of God, someone who has all knowledge but has no grace and love and mercy, someone who is the anti-Christ is to have no mercy, no grace, no love for anyone else. But man, I can quote scripture. You're useless in the kingdom of God. And the person that's over here on this side, oh, when I feel like it, when, when and if God ever moves me, then I might decide to grow spiritually. You're useless in the kingdom of God. The creative relationship is I'm different than you are. Because see, I've read all of these books about how to grow spiritually and I've tried everybody's approach. And I hated them. And I'd try them for a while and, and then I'd throw them out. And some of you have been like that. Some of you have tried all these different approaches. In my relationship with Janie, the more creative I am in showing her how much I love her, the more our relationship grows. That only makes sense, right? I get up and I read my Bible. But if I ever get in a rut, I vary it. Maybe I go read my Bible at a different place. Maybe I walk around the neighborhood and, and, I, um, and I pray out loud. Or I go sometimes when I'm really seeking God's advice, I drive out to Lower Lake and I sit there and I cry out to God. And so, because that's just a special place for me. God, that's where we decided to start this church was at Lower Lake. Janie and I sitting there eight years ago. And so the creative relationship says, if I feel dry, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. Because I think we got to stand up today and say that my relationship, your relationship with God is exactly where you want it to be. What are you talking about? You've made the choices in your life to lead you where you are. You stand before God and will answer for what God has told you to do or what you've not done. You will answer to God by yourself. So if you're far from God today, don't blame anyone else. It's time to look in the mirror and say, I'm going to be an adult here and admit that I need to make some choices. God has not moved. God moved heaven and earth to open up the most holy place, not so that you could just visit the God of the universe threw open the curtain and said, drop in any time. God went to extraordinary lengths so that you could live in the presence of God on a daily basis. And he can invade. Just imagine if when you were to go to work, God is on your mind. Be creative. Listen to music. I was telling Rachel this week, I went to work out. And, and when I turned on my little my, my MP3 player, it's, it's like way old school so i'm kind of embarrassed to show it i try to keep it in my pocket but i turned it on and it popped on this song that i hadn't heard in a couple of years and and i didn't talk to anybody the next hour i had my earphones in and as i was working out i was worshiping god and i thought this is what god wants when you're driving down the road if you got to go listen to some christian music and if nobody's in the car with you sing along you know what i'm talking about Creative relationship. There are some basics. If you're not in God's word, you can't know 95% of God's will for you. 
So you're running around. If your GPS only knew 5% of the roads around, would you depend on it? No. 95% of what God wants you to do in this life is already written. You don't discover the other 5% until you get in here and you get in this close relationship where you live with God, where you dwell in His presence on a daily basis. So if you want to get a grip on your spiritual life, here's the bottom line. Today, you need to make some decisions where you will connect with God and with other believers for encouragement, sometimes for a kick in the rear, sometimes for support when your life is just too difficult for you to make it on your own. That's what the church is supposed to be about. So if you don't have any close friends who are following God, who are seeking God, I actually feel very, very sorry for you. Because I don't know how you make it. And when I'm sitting in small groups and I hear my friends, because my closest friends are in my small group. When I hear my friends pour out their lives to me and we stop and we pray. I believe God moves heaven and earth. To help them make it through something difficult. But the choice is yours. Years. Choice is yours. You are as close to God right now as you choose to be. So maybe some of you need to take a step closer today. Would you bow your heads for a moment? God, I want to be what you want me to be. And as painful as that process might be, I'm willing. And I think there's a whole bunch of people that deep in their hearts in this room want to be who you want them to be because they've tried life their way and honestly, it's not working very well. So God, help us make some choices today to move towards you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Take your registration cards if you would and fill those out for me. Next week, we're starting small groups and so some of you need to choose to get into small groups. Uh, We just had 29 ladies go on a ladies' retreat. They had a blast. Even the ones who didn't want to go because they're the shy wallflower types, you had fun, didn't you? Uh Uh-huh, I know, I heard heard the stories. I almost didn't go, but I'm so glad I did. Um, We have Celebrate Recovery. Next week, we're going to have a table out back where we have information on every small group coming up. So the Song of Solomon study, Celebrate Recovery. There's a men's study studying uh, Ecclesiastes about a life well lived. There's going to be a Financial Peace University study. Um, There's all kinds of things coming up. We're going to have those tables out there next week where you can get some information. Be praying about Porn Sunday. And be thinking about who God wants you to invite. I'd love for this place to be completely packed out. We can, we can uh, even have some folks out in the living room for overflow. That would be an incredible demonstration of God's power where the enemy has a grip. And so what we're praying is that God will begin destroying some of those strongholds. Uh, on your cards, if you turn that over on the back, I want you to tell me maybe which style, because I always have you write something down. Did you try the military style? Did you try when it's the convenient style? If you're ready for the creative relationship style, write that down. But then I want you to write down, what do you feel like you need to do today to take a step towards God? Whatever that is. If it's connecting small groups, if that's get somebody to pray with me, for me. If I don't know what that step is because it's going to be different for several people. But whatever you need to do today to take a step towards God and become closer to Him, to move into His presence, write that down on your card.